Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company again this afternoon, and great to be able to share some thoughts with you on Judaism 101.9. You know, every week as uh, we complete, and especially now that we don't go into the studio, as we complete our um, talks here, I'm sure it happens to the other presenters as well, um, we get a quick message from Craig, that's the man who presses all the buttons and makes sure that the show holds together and that it comes across to you and in all the right times and with all the right ads and so on. He always sends a message to say, um, please give me a topic. So we've kind of covered the whole thing and then we want to give a topic. What is the topic? What are we going to be talking about? What have we spoken about? And I guess that's because he needs to put it up on the podcasts and so on. So he needs to label it. He needs to have a label on that particular talk. Well, today I'm going to tell you up front that um, because it's Judaism 101.9, I thought that it was appropriate to do something that we haven't really discussed in depth before as a topic of its of its own, and that is who is a Jew and what is a Jew? Who and what is or are Jews? What is a Jew and who is a Jew? So there's your topic, Craig. Who is a Jew and what is a Jew? Perhaps let's begin, as we often do, by exploring the particular dates that come up in the calendar of this particular week. And fascinatingly, today is a date that is mentioned and expounded upon by our sages as being of great significance in Jewish history, in biblical history. Today is the 17th day of Cheshvan, the 17th day of the month of Cheshvan. What happened on this date? Well, I'll give you a hint. It was something that happened 4,125 years ago, to be exact. 4,125 years ago today, something significant happened in the world, happened to the world. Yes, it was the beginning of the flood. The rains began to fall in the time of Noah on the 17th of Cheshvan. This is according to Rabbi Eliezer and, of course, expounded upon by the great Torah commentator Rashi, that it was on the 17th of Cheshvan today, 4,125 years ago exactly, that the flooding of the earth actually began. Noah entered into the ark together with all the animals and began that voyage of uh, kind of uh, the uh, ship to nowhere, really, but just to save everything that was on that ark. And, of course, it was, according to our sages, 365 days later, on the 27th of Cheshwan of the following year. And, yes, there you've seen it. It was actually... It's actually significant that a lunar year and a solar year are 11 days different. There are 11 more days if you were just to plainly go by a solar year compared to a lunar year. So it was on the 27th of Cheshvan that Noah actually left the ark one year exactly, 365 days, but one year and 11 days according to the Jewish calendar later, 27th of Cheshvan. 
Now, these calculations are interesting. They're fascinating. Um, we are told that it was on the 17th of Cheshvan that the flood began. It was on the 27th of Kislev, therefore, uh, 40 days later, that the rain ended. And uh, then it was actually on the 1st of Sivan that the water began to subside. It was on the 17th of Sivan that um, the Orok came to rest on the top of Mount Ararat. It was on the 1st of Av that the mountain peaks broke through the water's surface. It was on the 10th of Elul. Um, 40 days after the mountain peaks became visible that Noah opened the ark's window and dispatched the famous raven. It was on the 17th of Elul that Noah sent out the dove for the first time. It was on the 23rd of Elul that the dove went out a second time and came back with that olive leaf in its beak, which became the symbol of peace around the world. It was on the 1st of Tishrei that the dove went out for a third time and did not come back. And no one knew that the water was now completely drained. But it took the best part of the next two months until the 27th of Cheshwan, until Noah kind of plucked up the courage to leave the ark, to go out of the ark, and to venture back into the world. And he had to be specifically instructed to do so. Now, I think, of course, there is a very, very great parallel from uh, what we hear about with Noah and the ark and uh, these instructions to what is going on at the moment in our um, world, in the world that we're living in today, in the uh, year of the pandemic, in this year of 2020, where uh, so much has happened and we too seem to have gone nowhere, where uh, perhaps we can be very grateful, just like Noah and all the people and all the animals that were on the ark, that we have been salvaged, saved out of the clutches of this terrible, terrible scourge of this pandemic that has overrun the entire world. But we too, I guess, are fearful to go back into the world, not knowing if we can, not knowing how to venture back into the world. And we see, therefore, that we're getting all sorts of strange and weird and wonderful behaviors, not only on a global level, but on a personal level, on an interpersonal level as well. People are confused. We're not quite sure how to go back. But by and large, when it comes to the things that we ought to be doing, there seems to be a tremendous amount of uh, cabin not cabin fever, but cabin um, kind of, uh, we've got used to it. We've got so used to our cocoon that we want to remain inside, that we're fearful. We don't want to go out. Um, so to venture to shul or to a shear or a lecture or a, uh, a davening, a minion and so on is something that we are or we've kind of conditioned ourselves to get used to the quiet home environment, the environment where um, everything has been happening over the last uh, eight, nine months. And can you believe how long it actually has been that we have been in this cocoon? And amazingly, the human condition is such that we become used to that kind of environment. We get used to that cocoon. We get so used to being in that type of a space and it's very difficult for us to venture forth to go out of it. And this, in fact, is perhaps the parallel to the Noah story. But let's move on to the very, very next great character that we meet up, meet up with in the Torah. And this is Abraham Avinu, Abraham. And following on after Noah, where Noah was told to salvage what he could and set it afloat, 
and ensure that um, those were the things and the creatures and the beings that would survive this terrible pandemic, this terrible scourge, this flood, we meet up with Avraham Avinu. And Avraham Avinu, Abraham, is known as the first Jew. And perhaps this leads us on to my topic for today. What is a Jew? Who is a Jew? Why is Avraham Avinu referred to as the first Jew? What defines a Jew? And we'll be back to talk about that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Now, seven months ago, this is Rabbi Michael Katz back with you on Judaism 101.9. And great to be in your company this afternoon as we're talking about what does it mean to be a Jew? In other words, who is a Jew and what is a Jew? And perhaps we need to think about it primarily in terms of our forefather, Avraham Avinu. Abraham is introduced to us and we are told that he was the first Jew. And let's perhaps put it under focus in quite general terms and think about what was it that qualified him? What made him a Jew? And in fact, perhaps before we do that, let's define what the word Jew actually means. J.W., Jew, Yehudi. Where does that actually come from? Well, the English translation Jew is not really that accurate to the word Yehudi. It would be better probably if we were called Yehudim. But the word Jew has been extrapolated from that. And that's where we get Judaism. And that's where we get even the name of the show, Judaism 101.9, being Jewish. Um, this word Jew. Now, unfortunately, if you're going to go and look it up in uh, any of the uh, regular dictionaries or you Google the word Jew on the Internet and so on, you might come up with all sorts of uh, diatribes and uh, anti-Semitic uh, comments and things that have made their way into dictionaries defining what a Jew actually is, which is what the world perceived that a Jew was through their sometimes jaded and anti-Semitic eyes very often, that a Jew um, had certain defining features, that a Jew had of a physical nature, that a Jew had certain features of a spiritual nature, that a Jew was someone who wanted to, to uh, uh, take over the world and uh, ran business and bought the banks and all that sort of stuff. Of course, we know all of that stuff, which might come up if you check out the word, word Jew, but let's drill down and give a Torah definition of what Jew actually means. Well, it seems that the word Yehudi actually comes from the word Yehuda. Yehuda was one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob, our forefather, had many sons, as we know that they became the heads of the tribes, and the tribes became called after the names of those sons. There was the tribe of Reuven, there was the tribe of Shimon, and there was the tribe of Yehuda in and amongst all the others. Yehuda was the one that, number one, was singled out for the greatest greatness at a later stage, and that Yehuda was the one who was um, singled out for the kingship, that the kings of, Jew, of, the, of the Jews, the kings of Judaism, was going to come from that tribe, the tribe of Yehuda. And in a way, it was that tribe that therefore was given some kind of a longevity and inoculation, because over the uh, periods of history, when many of the tribes were either obliterated or went missing or integrated into others or assimilated, 
the tribe of Yehuda seems to have remained steadfast. Now, it wasn't the only one. The tribe of Levi, the uh, forerunner uh, of the Kohanim and the Levium and so on, also remained. And uh, parts of the tribe of Benjamin, in fact, Jerusalem was in the tribe of Binyamin, but the tribe of Yehuda was a large tract of the land of Canaan or the land of Israel all those thousands of years ago. And it therefore seems that people who came from that part of the world or people who were invested in that way of thinking were called Yehudim, coming from the tribe of Judah or from the country of Judah, the place called Judah. Remember, it wasn't always called Israel. It wasn't always called by the name of Canaan, but perhaps in a way from the tribalization of the place, the people's name for this place was Judah, and they became known as Yehudim. Now, there's a fly in the ointment with all of that, and that is that you've probably thought about it, the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Yehudah or the idea of a Jew coming from that realm or from that name is something that came way after Abraham Avinu. So how is Abraham Avinu, how is Abraham referred to as a Jew? How does he become a Jew? Why do we even refer to him by that term? Surely the concept of being a Jew came later. Maybe the idea from a physical point of view came from the tribe of Judah. Maybe the philosophy of it all or the way of living, the way of life came from the giving of the Torah, which was much later after we got out of Egypt. Um, how does it come to pass? How does it come to be that the tribe or the name rather of Judah, Yehuda, or a Yehudi or a Jew is a name that sticks to Avraham Avinu. That is the label that we give him. That is the way, the accolade um, that we give to Avraham Avinu and a, uh, an accolade that he carries with pride and hands down to all the generations who came after him right up until you and me today. So let's think about this in perhaps a little bit of a different context. And that is that if we take the word Yehuda itself and we break down what the word really means, we are told that it comes from the word Hoda'a. Hoda'a means acknowledgement, Hoda'a. And it can also mean submission, acknowledgement and submission. And here we have something really, really powerful in thinking about what it means to be a Jew and who is a Jew and why Avraham Avinu is called the first Jew, he was the first one to acknowledge God. The first one to acknowledge the one and only God, the creator of the world, in the most powerful way was Avraham Avinu. Now you could say, yes, uh, Noah, Noah, who we've just spoken about, also had conversations with God. Um, Adam surely had conversations with God, as did uh, people in between. What was it that was unique about Avraham Avinu? It was Avraham Avinu, it was Abraham, who rejected everything else that was going on in the world at the time. And when I say everything else that was going on in the world at the time, we're talking about the fact that the world at that time was filled with all sorts of weird and wonderful ways of life, religions, um, gods, deities, idols, etc. And um, people were following after all of those things. And there was nobody who was following after the one and only God, acknowledging the one and only God and 
submitting to what it was that the one and only God wanted from him, you, me, us, anybody. Abraham Avinu, Abraham, is the first one who does that. He rejects all the idols of his past. He rejects all the idols of Terach, of his father. He rejects all the deities that were known at the time. He realizes and recognizes the one and only God, the creator of the world and the whole universe, everything that is within it and without it. He recognizes that this one and only God is the only one and that there are no others. And he submits to whatever it is that God wants from him. Yes, we see it. God says to him, get up and go from this place. He goes. God says to him, take your son and offer him up on the mountain. He does it. God says to him, give yourself a breeze at 99 years old. He does it. Circumcise yourself. He does it. Abraham Avinu is the epitome of what it means to acknowledge and to submit. He carries that name, Hoda'ah, Yehudi. He carries it with aplomb. He carries it with pride. He carries that name because it defines him. That is what he is. It doesn't matter what the whole world is involved in, what the whole world is doing. It doesn't matter what the whole world is praying to, what their gods or demigods or idols actually are. Abraham Avinu Abraham is prepared to lay down the marker and to say, I am a believer in the one and only God. I am not only a believer, and it's not only that I'm going to pay lip service to it and recognize it in my mind's eye and kind of shelve it away and put it up um, uh, there for perpetuity. I'm going to live the life of submission. I'm going to do whatever it is that God wants from me. That is going to define me. That is me now. I'm recognizing this. I'm submitting to it. It is me. I'm becoming it. It is everything that I am and everything that I possess. This is the actions of what we know as our forefather Abraham, of Abraham. This is what he does. He submits and he acknowledges. There's acknowledgement and submission. That is Hoda'ah, and that makes him a Yehudi, makes him a Jew. So what is it, therefore, that we carry forward into the future um, from Abraham Avinu and onwards? Well, perhaps we need to pause for a moment and take a look at somebody else who is referred to clearly by Torah as being a Yehudi, even though he clearly doesn't come from the tribe of Yehuda. And that is the famous Mordechai in the story of Purim. Purim happens, we know, Mordechai, the hero of the story, together with Esther, the queen, is told, and they are all told by Haman the wicked, uh, that they have to bow down to him or else everybody is going to be massacred. They're all going to be killed. It is Mordechai who stands up and says, no, I will not bow down to him. I bow down only to the one and only God. I do not bow down to a man. <coughs> he refuses to bow down. Excuse me. He refuses to bow down to Haman. And because of that, the entire Jewish people are placed in jeopardy. And he is referred to as an Ish Yehudi. He is referred to as a Jew. But we're also told that he was a Yemini, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He actually was a Benjaminite. He was not a Yehudi um, in the classical sense of coming from the tribe of Yehuda. So what does it mean that he was a Yehudi? So we're told that what it means is that he was prepared to stand up for what is right. He was prepared to go against the grain. 
we don't have a record in the story of Mordechai and Esther and the Purim story, the Megillah of Purim. We don't have a whole story about every Jew and everybody who was of that faith actually defying the orders. It was Mordechai. He carried that name, that accolade of being a Yehudi, of being a Jew. He carried it with aplomb. He carried it with pride because he stood up. He acknowledged, he submitted, and he was prepared to stand against the grain, to go against anything and everything else that everybody said out there in the world, from a spiritual, from a moral, from an ethical point of view, or a lack thereof, he was prepared to stand up and be a Jew. We'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Great to be with you. It's Rabbi Michael Katz here on Judaism 101.9. And we've been discussing who is a Jew and what is a Jew. So perhaps let's get to some uh, proper definitions. Who is a Jew? Well, the first thing that Torah goes out of its way to tell us is that Avraham Avinu was given a gift of lineage. In other words, a Jew is, uh, how do you become a Jew? Well, first up is to be born Jewish. Born Jewish. Born Jewish means born of a Jewish mother. Yes, the mother is the one that carries the Jewish lineage. It was the father who was gifted with the tribalization. <coughs> so if a person was from the tribe of Reuven, their children became members of the tribe of Reuven. If they were members of the tribe of Levi, their children became Levium if they were from the male side. From the female side, the mother's side is the Jewish heritage. Now, this is significant because it actually puts paid to the fact that Judaism only believes in uh, paternal, paternity and paternal things, and it's like a man's religion. Um, on the contrary, your entire Judaism is determined by the female, by the mother. The mother determines who is a Jew. So, born of a Jewish mother gives you that access, that heritage, that lineage, and that connection. There is another way to become Jewish, and that is if one is halachically completely, absolutely, properly converted to Judaism. That makes one a Jew. Judaism is not an easy game. It's not easy to become Jewish. It's not easy to be part of the Jewish people. It is not necessarily something that is for everyone. Not everybody is supposed to be Jewish. And therefore, it is something that comes with all sorts of rules, regulations, and then some. And of course, if a person wants to convert to Judaism, they need to actually pledge not only that um, allegiance or that recognition of God, but that submission that we were talking about before that Avraham Avinu had. They need to have that submission to all the laws, all the rules and regulations of the Torah, all the 613 mitzvot, everything has to be taken on board, has to be accounted for, has to be part and parcel of uh, Judaism, of, um, of this individual in order for them to become Jewish. Judaism actually practically does not believe in the fact that we can actually convert souls. We can't actually change what God has designated. What we can do is we can verify that when a person has uh, shown that they truly are capable of and they're committed to keeping everything that Judaism has to offer, every mitzvah, every part of Torah and so on, that then we can verify that actually that is a Jewish soul. This is 
called conversion to Judaism. So how does a person who is a Jew is someone who is born Jewish or someone who is, according to Torah, halachically converted to Judaism? That is, who is a Jew? What is a Jew? A Jew is someone who follows in the footsteps of Abraham Avinu, follows in the footsteps of Mordechai, follows in the footsteps of all our sages and our forefathers before us and mothers, and then some following in the footsteps of recognizing one and only God and doing something about it. Yes, every one of our forefathers from Abraham Avinu onwards was instructed to do something, to prove, to show that you're Jewish. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So there is no doubt about the fact that if you are born Jewish to a Jewish mother, if you are converted halachically, correctly, you are Jewish. However, there is always that instruction that was given from the times of Abraham Avinu to actually have the second phase of being a Yehudi, of being submissive, of being of showing that submission, of showing that subjugation, that allegiance to what it is that Judaism stands for and that God wants from us. We have to act out, play out, be, practice Judaism. And that is the performance of God's mitzvot, the learning of his Torah and the adherence to that Torah, the doing of the things that God wants from us. And part of that is having a moral code and an ethical code and standing up for what is right and what is correct in this world and not being like everybody else just before, because everybody else in the world is behaving in a certain fashion does not mean that that is the way that Jews are meant to behave. On the contrary, very often our sages taught us that if you want to know how to uh, a Jew is supposed to behave, well, take a look at how the world does it and then you do the opposite. You do something else. We um, have many, many instances within Judaism where that plays true. And we need to remember that part of being Jewish is the ability to stand up in the face of an onslaught of uh, negative publicity or negative press or whatever you may call it. The ability to stand up for what is morally and ethically correct. Just because something is legal in a country does not mean that it is something that we as Jews should take on board and say, well, this is something that we can now do. No, Jews have a higher moral code and a higher standard and a different ethic. And just because something is legal and allowed by the mores and the laws, perhaps, <clears throat> of a society, of a country, of a world, does not necessarily mean that that is something that Jews need to do. Yes, we have to obey the laws of the country, but we do not have to go along with everything that the world says from a spiritual, from a practical point of view, is something that we need to do. So being Jewish is not only a birthright, it is not only something that comes with a conversion to Judaism, but it is actually something that needs to be done. It needs to be practiced. Judaism is action. There are things that need to be done. There are things that we certainly have to make sure we don't do as well. We've got to stay away from them. But there is a whole lot of stuff that we've got to do to deserve that name being Jewish. And part of it is being different, being somewhat um, of an outlier when it comes to the entire world that is around us. So hopefully we too can follow in the footsteps of Abraham Avinu and we can model ourselves 
upon the kind of trail that he blazed for us, as did Moshe Rabbeinu, as did Mordechai, as did all the people who carried the name of being a Jew with pride, we too need to remember that part of what they did was that recognition of God, that submission, and that practice of what it means to be Jewish. It's been great chatting with you. I want to wish you a great uh, rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.